Oh boy, here we go again. You are Locked On Nittany Lions, your daily podcast on the Penn State Nittany Lions. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Locked On Nittany Lions. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. I am your host, Zach Seiko, as always, and I am joined by a special guest on Monday's edition of Locked On Nittany Lions, and that is Matt Bortner, my colleague, a good friend. You and I also do a talk show on ESPN Radio State College, Mondays from 5 to 6 Eastern Standard Time, and that is Blue and White Breakdown, our Penn State sports show together, but uh, I am bringing your knowledge and expertise <laughs> over like here. I'd like to join on... you on uh, better circumstances yeah. than this one. Yeah, Saturday's game against Michigan. Uh, we, you and I watched the same thing, 41-17. to So here we go again. Uh, we're going to recap this game and then just kind of talk about with the offensive struggles, the defensive struggles, and now the new outlook for Penn State uh, because this, this we learned a lot, and that's kind of what everyone brought up uh, throughout the course. We didn't know enough about Michigan. We didn't know enough about Penn State. But regardless, we were going to learn a lot about both teams. Uh, and we certainly did. Was this a matter of Michigan was that much better or Penn State was that much overrated? I think it maybe lies a little bit in between uh, uh, the both of them. It was obviously not a stellar performance by Penn State in any form and fashion. Struggled to get uh, just even first downs in this game. The offense only scored one touchdown, and you take away the 66-yard run from uh, Sean Clifford. The first half was really abysmal. It had only been 17 yards, and then uh, Michigan having two runners go over 100 yards and going in the 300-plus territory. Uh, the defensive line and the linebackers were ex- exposed in this game for Penn State. Yeah, they struggled. Uh, both sides of the trenches for Penn State, and James Franklin came out right away and said that in his post-game press conference that he was not pleased with the way the game went, uh, mostly because we are not big enough, we are not physical enough. He was we, shocked they didn't come ready to he play. He was shocked that they did not come ready. Find the guy who's responsible for this. <laughs> well, I think you could just take a look in the mirror. Uh, 55 rushing attempts for Michigan, and this is what happens when you are the winning team. You are going to run the football more, but that was the game plan from start to finish, and 418 yards later, four rushing touchdowns, the big ones from Blake Corum, 61 on that long touchdown after he followed up Edwards' 67, and that's kind of when I knew this game was over, uh, was that 67-yard touchdown run from Edwards. I... They didn't even need the Blake Corum run. You just kind of knew when they went up by two touchdowns that Penn State wasn't going to come back. Um, But that was a game where Penn State led at one point, and you felt pretty good after that pick six. It was 14-13. to But the way that, and I said this all of last week, if Penn State was going to win this game, and I thought they would based on this, but this didn't happen because Michigan didn't allow it. Michigan always either kept the game close or they were in front. Penn State only led by one point. For how long before Michigan drove down the field again, kicked that field goal, and it was 16-14 at the at the end of the half. But if this Penn State football team wants to win more games, they did not do this on Saturday. You have to get the lead. You have to go up by 7, 10, 14. Like, you got to build a sizable advantage and force teams to throw against that secondary and allow Manny Diaz to blitz. Well, when Michigan's running two tight end sets, I formations, or just power football, and they're leading... 
you're not going to be able to do that. Well, and unbelievably, even if you're watching the game or just look at the statistics afterward, Penn State not only had one lead in this game, they led twice in this game. They got the, the field goal coming out of the second half yeah, they did. Uh, to put themselves up 17-16, which you actually, despite how bad the first half is, you know, sometimes you can reset things after a first half and be like, all right, it's a fresh new game. We're right in this. We're only down by two. Um, but the the storyline is so first off, Michigan should have been up by much, much more in the first half. I I will give so if we're looking at any credit for Penn State's defense in this game early on, it was somehow the bend don't break. Yeah, the bend don't break in the first half. Now that wasn't the case in the second half, uh, but you hold them to three field goals in the first half, uh Somehow, I, I, I don't know how, yeah. um, but then it's sort of like you said, Michigan was able to play by their script, uh, Penn State was not able to play by their script. And by that, I meaning putting yourself in second and third in manageable situations, uh, three and outs where your defense is now in the field the whole game, and that's when Michigan's running game uh, could really take over in their offensive line, and, and honestly... McCarthy, okay, he was able to make plays with his legs. He made some throws with open receivers. He did what he was supposed to do in this game. Game managed. He had, he had the the one interception where Chop Robinson made a good play, but by any means, the reason why Michigan McCarthy didn't have a big impact in why Michigan won this football game. No, but he didn't. Uh, outside of the interception, which just kind of it was a, a pinball. Who knew? And why was... were they throwing the football at that point when you're dominating the run? Like, and they learned very quickly. Yeah. they learned very quickly that they didn't have to put the ball back in the air based on the way that the game was going. And, and this was just uh, in, in Michigan's control, really, from from start to finish. Because even 14 to 13 or 17 to 16, I did not feel good about where Penn State was because I mean, at one point in time. Penn State had more touchdowns than first downs. Yeah, honestly, probably the best I felt was when you got the field goal after halftime because you said, okay, you you put together a 70-yard drive. You only get three points. That but was it the last was, time they scored? It was actually some—you uh, saw the deep ball to— uh, Mitchell Tinsley, or was it even Parker? It might have been Parker Washington. No, uh, Trey Wallace. Yeah. Trey Wallace. Yeah, to, to Trey Wallace down the side, and he made his best throw of the day, so you thought maybe the offense was settling in a little, um, but then it was just a freight train of the, the rushing attack from the Wolverines there on out. I mean, that, and that was just the story of it all. Michigan stuck to its plan, ground and pound. I, I think it was also a benefit that they got Donovan Edwards back so you didn't have yeah. to j- just run Blake Corum because he was slow to get up from some plays now, and he doesn't go down a- at all. There, there were times when I said, and both of them, Edwards yeah. uh, has that much credit as well, but I think Blake Corum deserves it the most. He breaks tackles on top of that. Whenever you, he would just always fall. The, these running backs were good at three things. Staying on their feet, not taking any yards for loss. They would always somehow turn a, a play at the line of scrimmage or something that was minus two or three yards and somehow turn it into a positive and, and then just breaking, bre- well, breaking shoulder and arm tackles, falling forward every yeah. single time. I'm like, oh, you know, okay, good. You stopped him on first and 10. I was like, no, 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 wait, he's still on his feet. How did he get five to six more yards from that? It should have been second and nine instead. It's second and four. And Franklin said all week, 
We can't afford Michigan. What has Michigan been doing well all season? They turned first and ten into second and five, second and four, second and three. Michigan did that all day. And I thought, well, with Penn State being the best opponent that Michigan has seen all season, I think, I I don't know anymore, uh, the way that they beat them down, they treated them like they were a MAC opponent. Yeah, and I I think that's the most frustrating part for for Penn State fans is that you come up with a game again where a big game for James Franklin in this program and even coming off a bye week when you have an extra week, you've been complete almost completely healthy this year. Uh Tangwall did l- leave before the game with a pregame injury, but yeah. you come out with that performance. This is Locked on Nittany Lions. I am your host, as always, Zach Seiko, joined by my colleague and friend Matt Bortner. When we come back on this edition, we are going to talk about the offense next and the defense. What went wrong for the offense, the play calling, all of it here on Locked on Nittany Lions. The numbers don't lie. In the last decade, over 4 million people have chosen Simply Safe home security to protect their home. You don't earn the trust of that many people without doing something right. At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. They protect you with cutting-edge security technology powered by 24-7 professional monitoring agents who always have your back. And here's why people love it. With 24-7 professional monitoring, Simply Safe's agents call you the moment a threat is detected and dispatch police or first responders in an emergency, even if you're not at home or can't be reached. Simply Safe blankets your home in protection with advanced sensors for every room, window, and door. HD security cameras for inside and outside your home, smarter ways to detect motion that only alert you when a threat is real, and even hazard sensors that instantly detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. Our monitoring experts use proprietary advanced response technology to visually confirm when a break-in is real so you can get the highest priority police dispatch. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash lockedoncollege. Save 20% on your Simply Safe security system when you sign up for an interactive monitoring plan and get your first month free. Visit simplysafe.com/lockedoncollege to learn more. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Welcome back to the Monday edition of Locked On Nittany Lines. I'm your host Zach Seiko, joined by special guest Matt Bortner. Uh, we finished recapping the Penn State Michigan game. Now we're going to analyze it, the game from Saturday, 41 to 17. Michigan just absolutely annihilated Penn State. It didn't really feel like a battle of 5 and 10. Uh, it felt like a battle of 5 and, well, frankly, unranked. Um, Penn State, I thought they were getting the respect that they deserved at number 10. And I think this was a case of Penn State might have been overrated in this spot. I, I posed that question to begin the show. Uh, I, I think that Michigan is appropriately ranked, um, and they should be at least around the college football playoff conversation again. Uh, Penn State just has to be very strict with its game script and with opponents like Ohio State uh, coming up, that's not always necessarily going to work. Teams that have really good ground games, it showed. And when we get to the defense, I guess we'll expand upon this a little more. Uh, Let's start with the offense, however. A game that saw Drew Aller come in late in the game because we know that Sean Clifford was hurt. James Franklin answered that very bluntly. And, we were, and very quickly. <laughs> we were watching that in his press in the press conference on Saturday, the post game, and James Franklin said, why did, why did you go to Drew Aller late in the game? Sean was hurt. <laughs> and that's all he said. Well, yeah, because they, they actually asked more than that. It was, and what is, is there any plan going forward? And he completely ignored that part of the question. 
Sean is hurt. That's all we know. And what is the status going to be for Minnesota? Well, that's why there are five episodes of Locked on Nittany Lions uh, throughout a week to figure it all out. Um, But the offense really reminded me of last season. No running game whatsoever. I mean, this was kind of a little bit of PTSD here from the fact that Singleton and Allen reminded me of Noah Kane and Keevon. We didn't even see any of Keevon Lee. One, One carry for six yards, but that was it. And I knew, I knew he was going to be phased more out of the offense. Keevon Lee, I don't blame him if he enters the transfer portal with the eligibility he has left at the end of the season. But Singleton and Allen just couldn't find any rhythm out there. Was that more the offensive line or two inexperienced freshman running backs? I, I think maybe combination of of three things was the offensive line performance, um, the the inexperience, maybe. They just didn't seem to hit the hole with the same burst that they've had all season. But also, too, I think, especially in the case of Singleton, now it, now it's hard when you don't have a rhythm in the offense. But um, maybe trying to get Singleton out more in space, it was pretty much all straightforward runs other than the one we saw Singleton try to bounce outside on the uh, third and one that they were stopped short. Yeah, that was one of the first plays of the game. And honestly, had Singleton, I don't know if he just didn't, hit the edge hard enough on the on the stretch play because that's what it was. His job was to attack the line of scrimmage and then bounce it to the outside. He was the only guy. If it wasn't for, I think it was Mike Morris made that play and Tyler Warren, that's a tough ask for your third string tight end who just come came back from injury to seal arguably Michigan's best defender yeah. to the inside. But I get the play design, but you just kind of have to weigh that. You have a tight end on a really good edge defender and you expect him to win a one-on-one battle? Well, and and I think what maybe is even more uh, frustrating on that play is it would have been an easy check for a quarterback sneak for Sean Clifford to pick yeah. up the, fir- the first there down. There was nobody in the middle. Yeah, uh, the, the defender, the nose tackle for Michigan at that point was shaded on the left edge of Juice Scruggs, and then the defensive end was pretty far out, uh, probably on the, the right side of the guard, that it would have been an easy check for a first down, which, and Penn State's been pretty how many good time, on converting. How many times have we seen the quarterback yeah. sneak so far this season? I, I think they've only been stopped once, and that was in the, the Auburn game, and that was a maybe a questionable call at that point. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I... I I think more often than not, though, too, it's it's just a play you see through all throughout football that's not stopped that much. I don't know why it's not used more. Well, and if you remember, you and I both watched the same Fox broadcast from Saturday with Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt. One of the first things they brought up in their brief preview before kickoff was Sean Clifford, his biggest asset his mind and in his sixth year they're allowing him to make those checks at the line of scrimmage they're giving him more responsibility so why did he not audible out of that I thought that was that's really weird given the context that we now have about Sean Clifford having more control making those play changes I don't know but I I also had another thing not just Sean Clifford there seemed to be a lot of pre-snap miscommunication or confusion on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball in this game. 
Overall, it was uh, a rough performance. Uh, Mitchell Tinsley had the best day out of the wide receivers, five catches for 57 yards. We brought up Trey Wallace, who had the 48-yard reception. Uh, and uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith, we did see on and off the field, but he didn't net any targets or receptions. Uh, and Trey Wallace is his backup, so that's why you saw Wallace show up a little more in this game. Uh, and I think that didn't help as well. A fully healthy Keandre Lambert-Smith forces defenses not to be able to double cover because what happened? Michigan paid more attention to Brenton Strange. They paid more attention to Parker Washington. They were allowed to put two guys or at least basically put your best cover guy on either of them and then shade somebody over the top. So it wasn't necessarily bracketing, but it was now with Keandre Lambert-Smith hindered you didn't have to respect all of the receiver spots. You could now double up on the guys that have been hurting defenses the most, Brenton Strange and Parker Washington. Yeah, and I think we saw a lot more jumbo sets in this game, too, where it was Theo only, Johnson, yeah. Tyler Warren. I thought it was crazy to see three tight end sets like that. Yeah, especially when you're getting dominated up, up front like you are and just try to run it mano a mano. What would you have done differently? Because I... Is this a matter of play calling or that Penn State just really did not execute the game plan? Was it the game plan or the execution? I, that's it's tough. Yeah, it, because I didn't like the game plan. Yeah, I didn't like it either. But I, I think it's tough when it when it goes that bad that you don't have any flow in the game. I it, it's hard to say if it if it's the play calling that was really that ineffective. The one thing that really confused me though was like. So there was the offsides on that one third down. I think it was like third and 11, and they ran a two-yard out. It's like, run something to the sticks. What's what's that going to do for you at this point? Um, so just all in all, I think it's a, a big combination of both because the, the pressure from Michigan, even when Penn State dropped back to pass, uh, there wasn't much time for Clifford or Aller to throw. As good as we've seen Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen be so far, and against different competition, right? Uh, inferior compared to Michigan. Yep. Um, that that defensive line is as good as advertised. Uh, I don't really know so much about the linebackers. It's those front five. When they go to the 5-2 and the way that they move Morris around on the edge and those guys are just able to blow things up at the line of scrimmage. I mean, Michigan dominated in the trenches. I feel like it's 2016 all over again. Deja vu, but... Two very different teams. That 2016 team went all the way to the Rose Bowl and had guys like Saquon Barkley, Trace McSorley, Chris Godwin, Mike Kosicki. You were going to see some growing pains now because Singleton and Allen looked very reminiscent of that running game last year. No, no effectiveness. Uh, Michigan did not respect it, and it showed. Yeah, and I think even you have a question, maybe this is down the line even further, is... Now your point where Clifford's hurt, you see Aller a little bit in that game. Is it the time to pull the trigger or not uh, to to just go with Aller? Now, it, at this point, it doesn't look like a team that's ready to compete with, with Ohio State um, and get themselves back into Big Ten contention, but do you really want to wave the flag with a 5-1 with a and one record? And I at the beginning of the season, I put them at 10-2. and two. And you can listen back to anything that I've yeah, said. I was, I was an eight and four guy. Yeah, at, at ten and two, I thought that. Now I changed my pick midseason because I thought that Penn State could follow the game script 
get because J.J. McCarthy showed when he had to throw the ball in pressure situations, he was not comfortable. It yeah. was the second and ones where he did the, a lot of his damage. Or just simply running it on those third and long conversions, yeah. not actually throwing it. Yeah, he was 7 of 57 uh, on the ground game. but And we'll talk about that when we get to the defense here in our final segment. Uh, but Drew Aller coming into the game, 5 of 10, 37 yards. Um, there there were some passes where I was like, man, you don't see that from Sean. Everybody knows this. You yeah. don't see that kind of ball from Sean Clifford. I Frankly, you didn't see that kind of ball from Trace McSorley. Um, but it also, with that, some of those passes, I was like, oh, man, that is that is quite the wobbly duck. Wobbly duck or or nowhere in the vicinity of the receiver. So there's Parker Washington's there's, catch. It was way behind him, and he had to one-hand it, that that, thir- that fourth and 11 or whatever yeah, that even, was. Even with the most talented, the, the number one quarterback in the nation uh, in terms of recruiting, there's growing pains to throwing a, a young quarterback into the fire. So do you think, I mean, we, we don't know the status of Sean Clifford, and frankly, with the way that James Franklin handles injury reports, or lack thereof, do you think that we see Drew Aller against Minnesota? It it all depends on the severity of the injury. I think it's if a it's, shoulder. We we know at least that much. Yeah, I think if it's enough to hinder, we could see Drew Aller um, because his red shirt is burnt at this point. Yeah, it's gone. Um, but if 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 you don't think it's hindering Sean Clifford, I don't. I personally. Don't make the move yet because I just don't think it sends the right message to your team. Unless you're, unless you know, you're fully confident that Aller is going to play better football than Sean Clifford. Um, that's the the only way I would make that move. I I think that's maybe more down the line this season if uh, if things start to get off track. I'm your host of Locked on Nittany Lions, Zach Seiko, joined by a very special guest that is Matt Bortner uh, on this Monday edition of the show. When we return, we are going to talk about the defense now. We've recapped the game, talked about the offense. The defense now goes under the microscope next. BetOnline.net is your number one source for football betting info this season. Find all of the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all of your sport wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to BetOnline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts. This is Locked on Nittany Lions. I am your host, Zach Seiko. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts every day. Matt Bortner is uh, my special guest on the show to just talk about this game from Saturday. Penn State losing to Michigan 41-17. to uh, It was embarrassing, and people have asked me or brought up to me, I think this is the worst loss I've ever seen. Well, the last, uh, last loss like this was under James Franklin 2016 at Ann Arbor about this point in the season. Yeah, I think in terms of being dominated, that in terms of dominating, I would say it's your worst loss. I think you have embarrassing ones like Illinois last year or um, just games where you had sizable leads against Ohio State and, and you're not able to finish. But in terms of being embarrassed and completely dominated with a team that you think is a contending team, um, that has to be up there. Well, 
the defense did, and I let, let me pose this one to you, Matt. Is the offense or the defense more responsible for this outcome? It, you know, it's hard to probably just pin it on one side because both of them were were so inept. Well, neither of them held up the bargain, and the only reason I might say the offense is because the defense had a touchdown. But yeah. at the same time, the defense allowed 563 yards to this Michigan offense, and 418 of them were running. Yeah, and I mean, you can have... You can have one of those plays. I mean, you win an individual battle and one of those things can go your way. But if you look in the totality of of just, I think it, it it's because of how blow after blow that it just felt like when you're on the defensive side of the ball that there was no hope in stopping the Michigan offense on Saturday. That's why I think you, you probably feel less impressed well you don't feel impressed by anything but less um happy with the defensive performance because it just didn't seem like at any point there was going to be a, a an opportunity to stop the Michigan offense here were some of my biggest takeaways from Penn State's defensive performance and like it, it's kind of a dead tie in terms of uh, who was worse the offense or the defense and this was the fifth ranked team against the run going into the game yeah uh, but you didn't play these kind Purdue doesn't run the football we've seen that uh, Ohio Central Michigan Northwestern are all bad teams they're frankly all Mac teams well two of them are Northwestern's lost to a Mac team and Auburn is a shell of itself down south uh, but Michigan just executing the game plan the the first one my first takeaway from this was the fact that Michigan was able to stick to its game plan its game script run on first down make it second and five second and four second and three they were able to do that uh, then when Mich- or Penn State was able to penetrate and able to stop the run or at least make it second and long th- even third and long I thought you know man they're going to send the blitz they are going to get McCarthy some pressure and he might throw an interception here no they didn't Michigan was 11 for 17. That is my second takeaway on third downs. They were 11 for 17. Got to get off the field. Penn State was 4 of 12. Why in all of those situations, especially in the, even in a third and long, watching that game from Saturday, I didn't feel like it was a safe bet that Penn State was going to get off the field when it was third and 10 or plus. Yeah, I, the, how many times in the game? I, I think maybe three times where we saw McCarthy scamper. Uh, for a first down in third and long situations. But still, most of that game was where you looked at either maybe they went for it on fourth down in a short situation, where it was like, because of how good Edwards, the line, and Corum were all game, where it was basically like, all right, buddy, just fall forward, and we're going to get the first down on this third down. Uh, in the secondary, because J.J. McCarthy didn't really have to do a whole lot. Like I said, he was just kind of the the assistant manager there 17 of 24 the one interception that was batted up in the air and great play by the by the defense but Manny Diaz didn't really get to do what he does best dial the pressure Uh, in the secondary uh, the thing that stands out to me is the Joey Porter Jr. penalty early in the game um in the moment okay I thought it because I think the crowd got into it the sideline everyone throwing up their hands because the flag came late yeah I, I was surprised that Joey Porter Jr. even, and he didn't really hit him hard. Like, that was just him finishing the play. Yeah, I, I mean, it was it was definitely... Was it egregious? No, but was it extra? Yeah, yes. and probably silly, but in terms of 
you don't want to condone it, but I sort of liked sending the message like, you know, we're here ready to play. We're going to be physical with you all day, but turned out to not (laughs) really make any of a difference. Well, it seemed that Joey Porter Jr. was. uh, Here were some of the defensive statistics for Penn State. Jair Brown led the way with nine total tackles, had a tackle for a loss, and that's... I'm not mistaken. I think he had all nine tackles in the, in like the first half where he had like eight tackles he was in the first up. quarter. Yeah. We saw him come back late. Yeah. Um, but Brown, that's bad when your safety, your free safety, your last line of defense leads your team in tackles. That tells the story of the day. Well... Yes, but it, to a certain extent, though, I, I've seen them start using him more and more as like a Jaquan Brisker where you saw in that one red zone play, he was basically playing at the last defensive end where he made plays. But yes, it's not the greatest thing in the world to have your safety leading in tackles. Jonathan Sutherland was second, and boy, I thought I thought he really had a rough day in, in terms of missed tackles and, and getting... Uh, beat in the in the past game as well. The defense also forced two fumbles, but they did not recover them. Uh, that really would have swung momentum had that been the case. Uh, and they did have the one interception for a touchdown that uh, was batted up in the air. Curtis Jacobs came down with it and outran uh, J.J. McCarthy. The final point that is important to bring up about the defense, one sack. They, they did not get any pressure on J.J. Yeah. McCarthy. Yeah, and when they did, uh, they left lanes for him to scramble and and had no containment on him. So uh, you, you just read off all of the stats. You look at the box score individual. Nothing looks impressive for Penn State on this day. Matt, I want to thank you for joining me on this episode of Locked on Nittany Lions. Before I let you go... Um, I think the last important part of this is to understand the outlook of this team because going into it, oh, we're going to learn so much about Michigan and Penn State. Oh, we learned a lot about this Penn State team. They've played Minnesota this upcoming Saturday, and I I feel uneasy about the game because this midseason type of game where it's a top-10 battle or it's a high-profile matchup and Penn State needs to come out on top, and they didn't. So is the whiteout going to help them against Minnesota? Are they they're truly caught in I'm calling this a sandwich game because you're li- caught lingering from the Minnesota or the, excuse me the Michigan loss and you're caught looking ahead to Ohio State which if somehow you were able to pull off a magical win it could save your season. So how much are you going to focus be there mentally against Minnesota? Well the the thing going for you is as you mentioned it's the whiteout and uh it's hard. I mean, even as devastated as Penn State fans are, there's there's people that maybe have never been able to go to a Penn State whiteout game before, or never been to a Penn State game before, and this is on their bucket list. So fans are going to be juiced up for this game with still only just one loss on their schedule. It's hard as a player not to get up uh, for a whiteout and 107,000 fans in a in a raucous atmosphere. But the track record is not a good one no. for James Franklin after uh, the first loss of the season. Other and than then, 2016. Yeah. Other other than 2016 of, you know, having one one loss turn into two, maybe three, and in last year's case, uh, many losses. Um, so I don't know. It's uh, 
it'll be interesting because Minnesota is going to pound the rock. They're going to try to yeah. run the ball all yeah. game long, especially with Tanner Morgan. We don't know his status. Uh, his, his status. Uh, so I think in, ter- in those two terms, y- you can't feel uber confident about uh, what's going to happen uh, on Saturday night. For you, what's a realistic ceiling for this Penn State team? I still think they can finish 10-2 and two because I look at that schedule. Ohio State is my almost guaranteed loss. I'm 99.9% sure that game's not going to go well, but they can beat Indiana. They can beat Maryland. They can beat Rutgers and a down Michigan State team. So, And Minnesota, of course, this upcoming week, especially if they don't have their starting quarterback. Yeah, and and I felt better about Penn State going into this one than I had uh, previously because I had an eight and four prediction before the season for this team. I, I think I would still see them around a eight or a nine win team. Uh, I just don't see them beating Ohio State at, at this point. Maybe, maybe this sends a message to everybody, and it's a wake up call, but. Just me knowing what I thought about this team and what their issues were going into the season, that doesn't, you know, say anything to me that I think this is a team that um, can go out and beat the likes of an Ohio State. And I think there might be another loss in there somewhere or two, just because uh, this has been a team that has not rebounded well after things not going their way. Matt, how can people connect with you on social media? You can go to my Twitter. That's where you will find uh, most of my action that I break down, and that is M underscore Bortner, and that's on Twitter. All right. I am also on Twitter at Zach underscore Seiko, if you haven't followed me on already, and give my good friend a follow as well. He's Matt Bortner. I'm Zach Seiko. This has been another episode of Locked On Nittany Lions. I will talk to you tomorrow for your Tuesday episode. Know what your team is up against across the Big Ten with Locked On Big Ten. Everyday host Nate Dickinson and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Big Ten in 30 minutes. Make Locked On Big Ten your second listen. That's Locked On Big Ten.